press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Friday, January 13. New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet revealed during a press conference yesterday afternoon that he wore a Nazi uniform at his 21st birthday party and swiftly followed up with an apology to the Jewish community. When I was 21, at my 21st fancy dress party, uh, I wore a Nazi uniform. I'm deeply ashamed of what I did. And I'm truly sorry for the hurt and the pain that this will cause people right across our state, and particularly members of the Jewish community, Holocaust survivors, veterans and their families. The admission appeared to be unprompted, but Mr Perrottet said the secret had caused him to feel anxious in the years since the party took place. Cardinal George Pell's longtime Vatican rival has denied sending cash to Australia to prop up sexual abuse charges against Pell. Disgraced Cardinal Angelo Betiu is currently facing trial on embezzlement and fraud charges, but said he didn't pay two Australians to accuse Pell of assault. Rather, he said, may the Lord forgive him for fueling slander. His comments come in the wake of Pell's death on Tuesday. Half a million. That's the number of people set to be waitlisted for surgery this year, according to a new report from the Australian Medical Association. And it's left many wondering if the backlog will ever be cleared as hospitals struggle with extreme workforce shortages in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's first up. The boom is going up on elective surgery all around the country. That will be done, of course, at the pace that states set but that will be welcome particularly to the private uh, health industry in particular and the jobs that are supported throughout that sector. As the COVID-19 pandemic winds down, Australians are returning to specialists in hopes of getting long-deferred procedures back on the books. But hospitals are still dealing with the fallout and may struggle to clear the ever-growing backlog. Natasha Robinson is the Australian's health editor and she joins me now. Natasha, just how long is this wait list likely to get and what's driving that growth? The waiting lists for elective surgery in public hospitals around the country are at a 10-year high. The figures take us up to mid-year last year and there were about 130,000 people fewer admitted for elective surgery in public hospitals in 2021-22 than the year before. And if you think about it, the year before, well, that was still the pandemic. But there were some factors at play, 21-22, including elective surgery, suspensions in New South Wales and Victoria. But there were many other factors that had a bearing on this drop. It can't all just be attributed to the elective surgery suspensions. And that actually doesn't necessarily reflect the full number of people in any way that are actually waiting for surgery. Like they're waiting for an outpatient appointment. They're waiting to see a specialist who can actually refer them. So it is a big problem and the capacity of hospitals to kind of ramp up and clear these backlogs, you would have to say would not be great at this point in time, given they're still coping with COVID and the workforce ramifications and all of the pressures that they've been under. 
And how does it compare with the waitlist volumes we were contending with before the pandemic? Well, if you look at five years ago, we were admitting about 750,000 patients on average per year for elective surgery. Now, in 2021-22, we admitted 622,000. The AMA has done some analysis and they calculated what would we have expected the number of admissions to be, and then they've compared it with what the number of admissions actually were in 21-22. They say that the difference between the number of people who actually need surgery, including those people who aren't even on a list yet, and the people who received surgery is over 300,000. And they're actually predicting it to rise to half a million by the middle of this year if we can't ramp up the level of elective surgery performed in public hospitals. Now, I think it's unlikely that we'll stay at the 21-22 levels because there were factors at play, including the suspensions I mentioned. But certainly the longer that we go on not being able to actually ramp up um, and significantly increase the number of operations that we can perform in public hospitals, the bigger that backlog gets. And how long are people expected to wait for surgery? Has that number also blown out? Are they going to be waiting longer when they do eventually get into the system? Yeah, the waiting times have definitely blown out. There's different timeframes depending on the category of your surgery. So if you're category one, you need to be admitted and operated on within 30 days. But it's when you look at the category two and category three areas that you see that these wait times do blow out and they have blown out significantly. And in a lot of these cases they're waiting for over a year and these are people in significant amounts of pain sometimes they can't work their mental health suffers so it's just a a really awful situation to be in to have to wait that long it's called non-urgent surgery but it's necessary and it results in costs to the country such as people having to be on welfare and those flow-on effects as well. And going back to that volume problem, are some states faring worse than others in this respect or is this a problem across the country? New South Wales and Victoria are faring the worst, but Victoria is by far faring the worst. In fact, according to the AMA's analysis, the backlog in Victoria actually makes up almost half of the backlog in the whole country. And it's very, very stark if you look at the admissions for elective surgery and you compare between New South Wales and Victoria during that period that covers the Omicron waves, 21-22, where New South Wales hospitals still managed to admit about 65,000 Category 3 patients and Victoria only admitted 25,971 Category 3 patients. Yes, Victoria was very hard hit by the pandemic, but I don't think that accounts for those kinds of differences. Clearly something is going on in Victoria. Their hospitals are just not coping very well at all. The other thing that is going on at the same time is that the public hospitals are having to actually draw on the resources of the private hospitals to get some of this elective surgery done and that costs more. And it also means that, well, they're private patients that can't be admitted if their hospitals are doing the public operations. But I do think a lot of people are turning to the private system because of these 
issues in particular with the long waits and the blowouts in the public system in relation to elective surgery because there's been an increase in people taking out private health insurance. Stay with us. After the break, Natasha Robinson delves into what's ahead for Australia's hospitals. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. So, Natasha, it's pretty clear that our hospitals are still under extreme pressure following the pandemic and can't realistically continue operating as they are currently if we want to actually solve this problem. So is there a solution? Everybody hopes that the pressures of COVID start to ease, but I think what is quite concerning if you look at what's happening in hospitals in Australia and around the world, it's almost like they are actually coming to bear now. The workers have just been holding on and they're so exhausted and feel just so despairing at the state of the health system that they're losing workers at at a time when they need more. So that's one factor that's increasing the pressure, but there's just these kind of waves of sickness coming now that weren't there in the pandemic and they're kind of coming back with a vengeance. Certainly the UK is facing a really terrible flu season and their hospital system is just in a state of total breakdown right now. That's a real concern if you look at that happening and think, well, what are the factors that could play out in that regard here as well. And I think we just cannot allow a situation like that to happen in Australia. You mentioned the National Health Service in the UK there. The Australian Medical Association actually pointed to the breakdown of the NHS as a warning for how bad things could get in Australia. UK doctors are warning the government that the National Health Service is broken. In the middle of winter, the under-pressure NHS is proving to be a huge political issue for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has held a near-day-long recovery forum on the National Health Service. He heard from senior doctors, administrators and members of the government as they warned the service is in an intolerable and unbearable state. Could things actually go that badly for us? I don't think that we are at risk of that because the funding to hospitals has been increasing year on year. But certainly the AMA says that at this point in time, in relation to elective surgery, we need an urgent national plan. And they're calling for a number of things, including the Commonwealth to step in and basically boost the funding to hospitals to allow them to actually ramp up and clear this backlog of surgery. But they've got some other interesting ideas as well, like are they some of these people who are on the waiting list or turning up to the outpatient clinics who actually could receive alternative forms of healthcare, which may mean that they didn't actually need to have the surgery. So I I think that's quite an interesting idea and, and something that could be quite fruitful to explore as well. 
Natasha Robinson is The Australian's health editor. You can read that story as well as all our journalism anytime at theaustralian.com.au. The Front is produced by me, Kristen Amiot. It's edited by Tiffany Dimack and Jasper League. Claire Harvey is our regular host and Leah Samaglou is our multimedia editor. Our theme music is by Jasper League. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts.